Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. And so got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Welcome to episode 68 of the Michael Rothstein Show, brought to you, as always, by Bet Online. Go check them out. Get your welcome bonus with the code BLUEWIRE if you are a first-time depositor. So go check them out, and especially as sports are coming back, because that is slowly starting to happen. So... One quick bit of news here, obviously, with the Detroit Lions. We'll just jump right into it before we get to today's interview guest, NFL Network's Stacey Dales. Uh, it's, a really, it's a really fun conversation with Stacey. I know I say that a lot, but Stacey and I go back a ways. We go back about 14, 15 years, back when I was a mop-headed 20-something covering Notre Dame men's basketball, and she was a sideline reporter slash WNBA player. She was doing sidelines for ESPN and, and playing for the Chicago Sky at the time. We talk a little bit about that. We get into some women's basketball, what her mentality was like as an athlete and how that helps explain sometimes the athletes that she covers now in the NFL, how a basketball player gets into football. And so much more, including a lot about the Lions and a little bit about the Arizona Cardinals. And it's just a fun conversation. We... Uh, we go back a long time, so it was great to have her on the show. One quick bit of Lions things, as obviously it's Wednesday morning right now. Jamal Agnew, Peter King reported that he had been in wide receiver virtual meetings, and Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press reported that he sounds like that Jamal Agnew is going to make the position switch from defensive back to wide receiver. It makes sense from a skill set standpoint. Jamal Agnew's most known as a returner. He's electrifying there. He's explosive there. He's great with the ball in his hands, as we've all seen throughout the last three years. But part of me is a little bit skeptical about the move. Typically, when you see a player make a position switch, such a drastic one, this late in his career, that doesn't necessarily bode well for him. Sure, we see guys go from corner to safety, like Quandre Diggs did, like... Honestly, I thought Tease Tabor should have, but didn't. Like, Alex Carter tried to, and it wasn't working for him at corner. But rarely do you see someone go from DB to receiver a few years into their career. And if I'm Jamal Agnew at this point, I'm a little bit concerned as well. Sure, it, it makes sense. There's no doubt about that. To me, maybe it's something they should have looked at a year ago. But you look at that receiver room right now, and it's fairly crowded. He's not going to win a starting job because he's not replacing Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, or Danny Amendola, at least not this year. So are you maybe training him in hopes that he becomes that Amendola replacement? Well, okay, then it's him or Marvin Hall or a bunch of other guys. You got, you drafted Quintess Cephas. Is he maybe more of a slot or an outside guy? Because he doesn't have great speed. We all know that. So maybe he fits more as a slot receiver because people have described him as an Anquan Bolden type. So 
where do you use Jamal Agnew? That, to me, is the question on offense. To me, maybe the role he's best suited for would be kind of the J.D. McKissick role, the the role that, in a lot of ways, drafted Huntley for. Maybe see Ty Johnson fitting into where you're just finding creative ways to get him the ball for 8 to 10 plays a game if you can do it. If that's how they envision Jamal Agnew, then I absolutely think he has a place on the roster as long as he can hold on to the returner job. If not, I think it's an uphill battle for him to win a roster spot, especially with, especially without a spring to work with. And who knows what training camp is going to look like. It's going to be really interesting to watch this trajectory. I think Jamal Agnew is a good player. I think he's a dynamic returner. I think he has a spot on an NFL roster somewhere. But right now you have to just wonder whether that spot's going to be in Detroit in 2020 because he's entering a crowded room besides the three guys we mentioned was M. Marvin Hall and Quintess Cephas Geronimo Allison is in there Jeremy Davis is in there and he has special teams capabilities and Chris Lacey is there they like Tom Kennedy a lot as well now I, I think at least in Tom Kennedy's case Jamal Agnew probably has the leg up over him but you look at it's a crowded room especially in that depth spot so how do you use Jamal Agnew it's going to be interesting to watch, as I said. Something I'm going to be keeping tabs on, and we'll see what happens down the road. But right here, I'm saying if he makes the roster, I think it would be in a J.D. McKissick type of role where you have a specific kind of set for him. We'll be back right after this break with NFL Network's Stacey Dales. So stick around. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Now back to our show. My next guest on the Michael Rothstein show, we go back a long time, over a decade now. Actually, might be more like a decade and a half. You see her all the time on NFL Network. She's one of their best NFL reporters. She's Stacey Dale. Stacey, thanks for coming on the Michael Rothstein show. Thanks for making me feel old, my friend. Well, I mean, yeah. we, are, we are the same age-ish. I am like <laughs> half a year younger than you, maybe le- less than a year. So I don't feel that badly only because I am right there with you. Yeah, so you I, are. I, I mean, you turned 40. When do you turn 40? November. I turned I turn 40. I turned 40. I, I, I forget if election day is on the 4th or the 5th this year. So I either turn... 40 on election day or the day after <laughs> election day or the day before election day so that always gets really dicey so i was born in 1980 the day ronald reagan was elected so my mom woke up and my asked my dad because i was a i was a c-section i was two months premature i was basically l- like smaller than the size of both of our computer screens and my mom was like so who won like that was her first question 
uh, when she woke up. Yeah, and I've had some pretty interesting birthdays in the past. Um, I was in South Bend when Barack Obama was elected. Uh, wow. That, that yeah. was also on November 4th, which was my birthday. So mm-hmm. I, I, it's been, it, it's always an interesting time. Always in the middle of football season, I spent some birthdays by myself in Iowa City, Iowa, and on the road certain places. So that can get depressing too. But anyway. <laughs> Well, you know what? I I couldn't be depressed um, last year because September 5th is my birthday. And it just so happened that the oldest rivalry in football with the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers were playing at Soldier Field to kick off 100 years of football. And I happened to be turning 40 on that very same day. So it was like I, I could have no trepidation about hitting that milestone because it all came together just so beautifully and magnificently that this birthday would fall upon such a, uh, such an historic day. So I was super stoked and it was like an amazing day. <laughs> well, not only that, but you were home too. I don't think that's yes. going to be a way to that you live in My Chicago, like, in Chicago area. Yeah. like you didn't have to travel. That's amazing. That's right. My family came to town from Canada um, and I ended up having pizza that night from my favorite pizza place and, um, you know, a beverage or two thereafter, <laughs> but it was perfect. It was a perfect birthday, but uh, you probably have some better stories being at when yours takes place. Yeah. there. I mean, without going too far down that rabbit hole, South Bend, Indiana, an interesting place to be. Um, You spent some time there when you covered college basketball, which is how Mm -hmm. we actually met back in those days. You know, not not necessarily the most liberal state, Indiana. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it was it was definitely interesting. I I went to a bar called Corby's for so I went out with a bunch of like journalist friends that are still close you know uh, you know some of them from you know football like adam rittenberg and uh brian hamilton and pete Sampson. so we all like we got really close on that beat and then we went out like so we went out we went to bar louis because that's what we always did and like i don't know why it was easy but then we would always go to corby's on tuesday night so we went early because we wanted to see the speech and I just remember going in there and it was a completely different vibe than what it usually was, which was grad students, some undergrads, whatever, before like nine o'clock. It apparently is like a very towny bar, totally different vibe. So Mm -hmm. we were, it was a very interesting night. Uh, Occasionally we'll, we'll still talk about that uh, here and there, but yeah, I've, I've got some stories um, for days, not only about birthdays, but you know, other things in general, but. College towns are the best towns. Oh, I live in one now. Ann Arbor, Michigan is, uh, it, it's uh, it's quiet now, although I I go on walks every night, and it's interesting to see how many college students have stuck around. Like when I get past like into like the college part, because there's no classes. I mean, you can't really even do anything right now. Like nothing's open in Michigan yet, and, yeah. and other than grocery stores and like Walgreens and whatnot. And you just see college kids out on the porch, college kids here, and I'm like. Sure. Like I walked yesterday, I walked by a house. They were playing beer pong in the in their front yard, and I'm like, that that's awesome. You keep doing you. You congratulations on losing what was possibly your last semester of college. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it just feels like you know. Sadly, we've been in this twilight zone almost. Like it it feels like a movie from that's that's taking place in a time when this all shouldn't have taken place. It's just crazy. Um, 
And it's just sad, but you know, you have to try to find the blessings every day. I go for a lot of walks. I take my dogs. My dogs are the happiest right now because they're getting like double the amount of time in their walks. It's gone from about a 30 minute walk to an adventure that lasts about an hour. And um, one of my dogs has a propensity to eat. So she's like getting in shape right now, blue. (laughs) So that's really cool for her. Um, She's only three. Um, so yeah, so it's, and and there's, everybody's out too. I mean, to your point right now, the irony is that nothing is really open here in Illinois where I live close to, you know, to the Chicago area, but, um, everybody's out people that typically don't go for walks or don't exercise as much outside. They're all outside. So hopefully we can get back to some normal soon and, you know, get to see each other in person where we, we like to shoot the stuff on the sideline and catch you up curse on this podcast okay <laughs> we'll set that bar, bar right now feel free okay awesome <laughs> so yeah oh i it's interesting i mean you what do you think will ha- i mean i hate playing the prediction game right but mm. what do you how do you think that goes this season do you think you're going to be traveling a lot do you think you're going to be like we see each other in Detroit all the time. Like, do you think you'll be showing up? Do you think we'll be allowed in? Like, do, mm-hmm. what's the indication you get there from when you talk to teams at this point? Because I know what I get, but that's only, you know, one team and it's generally like, well, we don't know. Yeah. Well, there, as you know, the, every state is different. So the parameters on opening up are different from state to state. The, the majority of teams have the ability to do so. But I mean, just hearing, you know, I remember Matt LaFleur saying a week or two ago, on a conference call that uh, he didn't think it would be fair if some teams got to open and others didn't. And I tend to agree with that, but I also, I also think that I live in the Chicago area and our population is, you know, very dense. I mean, we have one of the busiest and biggest cities in America. So we're going to be slower to the, to the table, if you will. Um, I do think we're going to have a season. I do think sports is coming back. I mean, Major League Baseball, the NBA, they're all in the throes of returning. Facilities in the NFL are opening back up to a limited surplus of people. But um, as far as my role, I I can't tell you. I don't have a definitive answer. My anticipation and my vision tells me we're going to need people, even if we don't have fans at maximum capacity, we're going to need people there to be the eyes and ears to deliver what's happening. And so I think from a reporter standpoint, we're going to be needed to, you know, follow parameters to get into facilities, practice social distancing. For instance, you know, what does that mean? Maybe it means we're not in locker rooms. Maybe it means we're, we're, we're relegated to Michael press conferences in which they bring not just the typical quarterback and coach out, but maybe they bring three or four players after a game to the podium and they have it done so that people are socially distanced for at least a while until we can get people comfortable and trusting again, that they're going to be safe and all this stuff. So, um, you know, part of, part of that in returning is the most important thing to me. I mean, just making people feel safe, whether that's putting up the catastrophe shields, um, which my brother is working with a company in Canada doing right now, um, creating a trusting atmosphere for people, businesses, athletes, um, franchises, whatever it may be, and to feel safe again without that fear factor. I mean, that fear factor has been really huge over the last couple months. And uh, clearly it's, 
really sad what's what's transpired with this pandemic, but um, we've got to get our country back and sports galvanizes people. And I just can't see these sports not returning in, in some capacity. So I, I want to hit on something really quick. Obviously, you said your brother is up in Canada working on catastrophe shields. You're from Canada, which you've mentioned. For those that can't see, you've got Canadian stuff all in your background. <laughs> but were you at any point tempted to just go back to Canada? Because obviously, you can't go back to see your family right now, even if you wanted to. Like, I'm in Michigan. My dad's in New York. My brother's in North Carolina. I could theoretically go see them. You can't. Were no. you considering going back at any point? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, so I'm a permanent resident. I should be a citizen at this point. I've been here since 97. Um, but <laughs> so yeah, it would be, it would be just a really, um, what, what would the word be? Just a difficult process trying to like go through the border and um, I could probably do it, but you know, my home is here. Everything in my life is here. My parents are actually not far from, from you. They're in Canada in a small town, a beach town in Canada, just across from Port Huron, Michigan. So they're only about six hours from Chicago, but um, I am still working. So I never, my thought was never to just up and go. I'm like in my office every day. We tape our shows live to tape. We are live now on Total Access, which is great at NFL Network, but um yeah, I'm still working and it could be, I might get a, a, a notification today. Hey, we need you to do something on, you know, there might be a call happening with the Colts or the bears at some point and I'll listen in, I'll do all that stuff and, you know, join our shows throughout, whether that's taped or live. So it's a process that we're all amidst and hopefully we can, you know, try to get back to something normal soon. You during like you mentioned with work during the draft you were one of the teams you had was the lions what did you make of what they did in the draft and for those that may not know you one of the lions are one of the teams you follow more closely yeah. than maybe some others just because of, of your coverage area yeah i mean i'm heavy nfc north and the colts um so a five teams strongly early at least in the season um i I really liked what they did. I know that Bob Quinn talked about they didn't really have anything on the table for that third pick. And so they had to go with Jeff Okuda, but they need Jeff Okuda. Yeah. So not only was it a value pick to me, it was a need pick. And it, you know, when you lose Darius Slay, whether he was happy or he wasn't, whether there was, um, you know, tribulations or not, um, this is a young player who, you know, has – scheme savvy I think in some of the things that the Lions want to do as was revealed in you know his days at Ohio State and then of course you know their scouting of him and what they talked about but this guy is a freaking beast in the backfield I mean I think he's going to be awesome and then to play with Desmond Trufant um, and then to bring in Deron Harmon I mean they have so many new faces on this defense it's like I feel like the Lions have retooled every year but really the, the pressure is on this year, as you know, for, to get it right. And I don't think you can get it less right with a player than Jeff Okuda. So I was super stoked for them about that pick. Um, and then DeAndre Swift. I know they want to go running back by committee. I'd love to hear your input on that. Matthew Stafford perceivably is going to be healthy and 100% as the team has indicated. But I love this Swift kid. I think he's just such a tool. And I hope they use him more than not because he can, I mean, he can catch it. He's, he's just so 
gifted um, and nifty and nimble with the football. So it'll be kind of fun to see how they bring him in. And TJ Hawkinson should be healthy. I mean, everything, everybody seems healthy <laughs> right now. You know, they added another um, lineman in the draft. Um, so I, I just, I like some of the things they did. I think the Lions came away feeling pretty good about this draft, but um, you can't, as Bob Quinn sort of talked about, you can't really, put, you know, you can't measure these types of things. It's, you got to get them on the field, see what they can do and see how the chips kind of fall. I mean, last year when I think about their season, they were like a couple games, the first game alone in that tie with, with Arizona, like they were, inches away from winning games that could have changed the trajectory of their season. You think about their trip to green Bay. And um, so, you know, they could be the biggest wild card in all of this division, really. I mean, they have a tough schedule like everybody else, but I uh, like some of the new faces. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned the trajectory part of that, because if they don't call, I don't know how much you remember about that opening game, because you're watching a ton of games at the same time. If they don't call a timeout, and then yeah. Lions fans have heard, like, in the fourth quarter, they probably win that game. And then mm -hmm. they're playing – they're more than likely playing the Chiefs at 3-0 and versus 2-0 and 1. Granted, right. I still think they lose that game. Mm -hmm. But, you know, maybe there's more confidence there. Maybe they feel a little bit better about themselves. The green, but, I mean, as we both saw – The Trey Flowers calls at the end of that Green Bay – the Trey Flowers calls at the end of that Green Bay game – um, could have gone either way. And I mean, there you're sitting at a much different record and, you know, people, you know, you can say in this league, you got to play your best football at the end of the year. Right. So that last onslaught of games critical, you got to win your division games, of course. But I think if you get off to a start that the record doesn't look so good, the trajectory in the mind changes. So games you pro probably should have won or there was a call that happened where you didn't win it. And now all of a sudden your record is below 500 to start maybe those what, first six games. That kind of messes with your mind a little bit. I don't know what you think, but the locker room morale, you're in locker rooms all the time. It goes from pumped, music's like elevated. Guys have a little juice in their step, even if they're banged up to there is a little bit of a slice in the heart you know that we should have won that game and now we're kind of like mm. so <laughs> but yeah I you're the one who actually I haven't like I didn't play sports beyond high school level you know you're the one who you know dunks on people on Twitter about your basketball career like <laughs> what's that like for an athlete because you know athletes will say all the time and I believe them zero percent but athletes will say all the time oh we're not paying attention to what our record is blah 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 like, you know, you know where you stand. So how, as an athlete, do you maintain that? Where in, I mean, college basketball you, and, you know, WNBA and, and overseas basketball, you've got, you know, mm -hmm. 30, 40, 60 games. Yeah. In the NFL, you've got 16. How do you, how would you as an athlete handle that? And how do you think athletes handle that when, like you said, they get off to a slow start or they lose two close games like the Lions did in two out of three weeks with a bye in the middle mm -hmm. there? Like, yeah. how do you handle that as an athlete? What's like the athlete mentality there? Well, first of all, Michael, you never enter a season thinking you're going to go three, 12 and one. Okay. So I never entered a WNBA season when I played in the WNBA thinking we were going to go five and 29, which I believe the record was in my first year with the, the Chicago sky. When we were in an inaugural season, we were starting a franchise. 
And I was one of the, you know, I was part of that first team um, all these years later, looking back, we sucked but you never think you think, Oh yeah, we got this player. We got this player. And Oh, there's this new freshness and there's like, we're a new franchise. You don't think you're going to win only five games and lose 29 games. I mean, you go into every season as an athlete, especially professional athletes thinking we're going to kill this. We're going to dominate this. And um, so like, trust me for lions fans like the lions didn't go into last year thinking they were going to win three games they thought they were going to go in winning plenty more (laughs) um so when that happens sometimes it just is very blindsiding and you almost can go into yourself so teams that lose a lot and because i was that happened to me my college career was very successful but when you start perpetually losing it is contagious when you start perpetually winning it is contagious so winning and losing are contagious to each other, to, to themselves. And, um, you know, it, it, and that's where you see it's a call or two away from like it, the scores aren't that lopsided, especially in the NFL for the most yeah. part, but confidence kind of creeps in and questions that ego side of you. And then you second guess yourself and you feel the pressure. There's just so much that goes into it. Um, you've got to figure out to make a way to make the contagion stop when you see it happening. And I think um, that's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to do for athletes when they walk into the facility every day. And it's a tough thing to manage as coaches because shoot, if you win three games, you're trying to coach them up. Like it's hard. Um, And the NFL is a beast. It is just a monster. I don't care what anybody says, Michael. Um, you may say, oh, their strength of schedule is this or it's this. Every game in this league is hard. Every game is hard. It is so hard to win in this league. So the teams that do it and do it consistently, I have so much respect for. So what, like that during that 5-29 and 29 or whatever the record was mm-hmm. season, how did you – like at what point do you realize, oh, this, this ain't going to be good? Like at what point does that happen and, and how do you – how did you manage it during that year? Because I, it was probably very analogous to more of what the Lions went through in 2019 than in 2018 when they were six and 10, but it was ping-ponging back and forth, you know, win-loss, 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 loss-loss, win, you know, type of thing where you can't get the handle on it. This was just the bottom fell all the way out. It was like the, you know, the House of Horror thing at, what is it, Universal, where it's just like, yeah. Um, as an, as a former athlete, you get, you, it's very embarrassing. So I can remember taking the court that year and just feeling shame that we weren't good enough. I have always been open to the media. I give I used to give my cell phone number out. Um, if anybody ever needed, they couldn't get to the arena and needed a quote. Um, I can remember one press conference in the middle of it all. And we'd won like, I don't know, two games or whatever. And um, I think one of the reporters said something like, so how does it feel to lose like this every week or every game? And I've never not talked. And I just, I was like, what? I was, I'm a journalist now, I'm a reporter now. And I'm, I like to think I ask really good questions. Um, like I would never ask that. And I just looked and I looked and I said, you guys have a good night. And I walked away and that's very unusual for me, but shoot, when you see some of these coaching rants or 
you know, people step outside of their character. Losing is embarrassing. It's shameful for all the work you put into it. You question yourself. You question what you're doing. Are you doing enough? Then you try to overdo things. It plays freaking mind games, dude. So um, it's, it's a tough place to be in. It's murky water at best. And, uh, you know, even as a reporter, when I'm covering, you know, like late last season, I had Bears, Lions, I think Thanksgiving. And I'm really sensitive to the PR staffs and my requests. Like, like I, I almost, like I have such an empathy and a feeling of compassion. And I know it's just sports, but you pour so much of your life into it. So when you're covering a team that is losing contagiously, um, you, you, you really feel that and try to see something positive in it, which is how I try to approach for me individually, what I do. It's a, it's a tough place for everybody to be in when that happens. Oh yeah. Being in a locker room day to day. And I mean, I've covered the line. This will be season eight and it's been a lot of mediocre or, you know, they've had, they had some good seasons in there, but really only one that was truly good back in 14. Mm -hmm. But there have been some bad years or ba definitely bad stretches. Like the start of 15 was, I think that of all of what I've seen was in the locker room, the biggest shock because yeah. they had come off 11 and five. They felt really good about where they were. It was Caldwell's second season. Sure. They lost Sue, but they, they felt like they had made some good decisions and yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was a ghost town and the last two years have been on a day to day. You know, mm -hmm. you're there maybe once, twice a month, three times a month, but like on a day to day, you, there are times I'm like, I, do I need to talk to that person? Like, and I'm someone who talks to anyone, like generally that 45 minutes, I'm bouncing like a ping pong ball, having conversations, whether it's on the record, off the record, you know, just catching up with guys, whatever. You, there are times you're like, do I really, like, does that person really want to have like any sort of conversation? Sometimes they do. And other times they don't. Yeah. Like Trey Flowers is a great example. I give that guy a ton of credit. Yes. That dude showed up every day, whenever you needed him, anything you needed. Like he could talk on a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday, then a Sunday. And if he was in there on a Monday, he would talk then too. Yep. You know, and, and that, that to me stood out when you'd look in the locker room and it would be Trey Flowers, like Jalen Reeves, Maven was in there a lot. And then like four guys from the practice squad. And you're just like, mm -hmm. I've got nothing, you know? Yeah. Trust me. I get it. I get it. It's and great, I, It's just crazy how that goes, you know? And then yeah. people don't get that. Well, what do you think that, what do you think the trajectory of, of this year's team is? Like, what do you, what positives do you see um, heading into this season, providing we have all that and, you know. Season? What's that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I like, I think if their offense is healthy, like you were talking about before, right? Yeah. TJ Hawkinson's healthy. Carry on Johnson stays healthy or healthy enough where they can run that committee approach with him and DeAndre Swift and both Scarborough and Ty Johnson mm -hmm. slash Huntley, um, whatever they do there. And Stafford stays healthy. Their receivers stay healthy, uh, healthy-ish, you know, like I think in mm -hmm. some positions they can be, they have a little bit more flexibility than others. Um, but I think they can have one of the better offenses in the NFL. I mean, I think they could have a top 10 offense easy. I think you saw that when Stafford, yeah. when Stafford was healthy and carry on was healthy. I, I think you saw that that possibility was there. 
Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know on defense. I mean, I, I think this – I still believe that they are probably making a veteran move or two, especially on the defensive line. Okay. That, that defensive tackle spot to me is just still a massive question mark. Like, I, right. I, I don't know how you can really feel great going in with Danny Shelton and Nick Williams feeling super confident with that. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to have maybe Deshaun Hand or Romeo Clark in there too, but I, I, I don't know. I, defensively, I just still think there's a lot of questions. I mean, what yeah. do they do at linebacker? They've, they have a lot of guys, but where do they fit? What do they do with Jared Davis at this point? Yeah. Um, Secondary could be really good, but if it takes Jeff Okuda some time, and people I've talked to all say, like you were talking about, he's really good, but it's going to take some time because that's just life is a corner. Mm-hmm. What does does Desmond Trufant have a renaissance, or does he look like the Desmond Trufant from the last couple of years, which has been okay, but not all pro level, you know, not Pro Bowl level, not Darius Slay level, which is mm-hmm. what you basically the the one off there. Yeah, and then safety. I don't know. I defensively, I still think there are questions. They have a, a rough go of it with quarterbacks early on. Uh, you know, they see Aaron Rodgers first month of the season. They see Drew Brees first month of the season. Uh, <laughs> they obviously get a break with whatever Chicago's quarterback situation ends up being. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to play Kyler early, and I think that that offense is go. I that offense is going to be. Oh man, that offense is going to be so good. <laughs> yeah. I I I, I kind of like I, I want to watch Arizona Cardinals games. Like I'm not just really to watch their anymore. offense, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not really a fan anymore. But like that offense, I'm just like that would be one. Like I play Madden a lot. I talk about it on here, and I, like I don't know if I would be able to create that offense. Like I gotta tell you, dude, DeAndre Hopkins is un like to watch him in person and watch his route and his technique and his te- um, technical ability at the position. Um, I you know there's. There's so many good receivers in this league, but to add him to that roster adds an element of speed and precision and demand. Like he demands excellence and T.Y. Hilton comes to mind. He's such a technician. Devontae Adams comes to mind. He's such a technician. They can run any route and run it precisely and run it to almost to perfection. I just love those three receivers right there for me. Um, play the position so with so much obsession, I think also is another word when I watch them train and practice and I talk to them and listen to their mindset and how they, how they all felt underrated. And, you know, and so I just can't wait to see how that thing takes off in that division, but yeah, they're going to be a tough opponent. I mean, they gave Detroit fits last year and ended up, you know, landing on that tie, but, um, God, I hope we have football. I really do. I, I, the storylines galore heading into the season. And uh, it's just, it's remarkable how teams even create their own storylines. Like I, I can't help, but think about the Packers and just how we're this conversation about these quarterbacks is never going to go away. And yeah. they created it all on their very own. <laughs> and I love their team. And I'm like, you had to go and draft Jordan Love 26th overall and create this entire um, quarterback. What do we want to call this? I um, mean, I'm calling it the Aaron Rodgers scorched earth tour, but that's just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's just like, you know, and then not to draft a wide receiver, right? For Aaron, who's 36 years old, entering year 16. You know, DeAndre Hopkins goes to Arizona. How did that happen? How do you lose that guy? How does Tom Brady end up with Bruce Arians in Tampa? 
I mean, and it's all in the midst of this pandemic. Oh, I know. So are you going to like buy a place in Green Bay for the season? Because I mean, you're basically going to live there or? <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, I mean, it's about a two hour, 45 minute drive for me. So it's not too bad. I can get there pretty quickly. And I'm there already a lot. But yeah, I, listen, I don't think we're going to have any quarterback controversies this year with them in terms of this guy's not crawling and breathing um, like dragon smoke over his shoulder. Um, but I, I do think like, you know, you're now expecting Geronimo, uh, excuse me, not Geronimo because he's now a, a lion. Yeah, Geronimo Allison's here is maybe their Yeah, he's in Detroit. Receiver. But you're, you're now expecting Equinemius St. Brown and Valdez Scantling and um, Alan Lazard to take huge leaps and Devin Funches to be healthy. And, you know, that in itself is a storyline in Green Bay. Does that receiver core stand up to the expectations? Because the great players have expectations, as we just witnessed in the last dance. I don't think any of us understood the expectations that Jordan had of his teammates within the internal circle. Um, I, I very much see players like Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees and Tom Brady to have similar expectations with their teams, which is why they've commanded so much success over the years. Um, so I, I can't wait to see how that unfolds. Yeah, it's good. I, I find it all interesting. Like going back to what you were saying before, to me, the Lions might be the whole wild card in the whole NFC because they could be. They could be five and eleven. They could easily be five and eleven, but I could also see them at nine and seven. Uh, ten, ten and six could be a stretch, just because I just there's so many questions on that defense, right? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, if you just think about their first, the, the, the beginning of their season alone, yeah. If if they buy in defensively, because now Matt has Patricia has more of his guys, right? So you've added Jamie Collins, who's fantastic, right? Danny Shelton. <laughs> Um, Harmon, I mean, you've, you've added these players now that again, but are like they're, they're Patricia guys, kind of like a Danny Amendola, right? You have the bears at home. If you win that game and then you go on the road and you know that they've always historically given the Packers fits. So in week two, you you go to green Bay and then you go back to Arizona in week three and you beat Kyler Murray in that offense. Think about that trajectory for the Detroit Lions, who could be the wild card if they buy into to what Matt Patricia wants. Um, so, and then by the way, Drew Brees comes in week four. So. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, and then you have a buy in week five, which, if things get delayed, could be week one. like that. To me, is super an interesting wrinkle here. If they have to lose the first month to kick it to the back end, the Lions and the Packers might both be off in week one. Now, I don't know. Maybe they would work something out maybe they would move like their whatever I forget what game they play that second half of the year mm -hmm. like the second Lions Packers game I forget when it is mm -hmm. um it's but, late it's late it's uh it's week 14 okay so maybe they would say you know what you're both going to get your bye then move that up to week one so that way because otherwise they're both off and then you're playing 17 straight games like that's yeah I think, I think players would just – or 16 straight games. Like, players would – that would not be very – they would not be very happy if that happened. That would be absolutely yeah. brutal. Yeah. Like, but, yeah, that – it's interesting. That, that opener against Chicago, like, you're talking about momentum and, and being contagious. They lose that game, it could get very ugly very fast, I think. Very fast. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we hear the cliche all the time. This goes for any team, as you know, Michael, in this league. I mean, you got to win your divisional games. Well, you have to. You yeah. have to. I mean, if you do it and then you win non-conference, you, you're, you're going to send Green Bay and Minnesota to the playoffs. Um, and it's going to look a little different, of course, now moving forward. But um, I, I think that, you know, to start off with two divisional games, you really will learn a lot about your team early because you know your opponent to a degree, to a strong degree. You have to. You've got more film on them. I and mean, it's just all the natural logistics fall into place. Um, and Detroit's always played well against the Packers and, and given them fits. So I, I just still think the NFC North is as tough a division as there is. I mean, on paper, we, we can always talk about who, who has the worst schedule, who has the easier schedule across the board, all 32. But um, this division is a, is a beast, and it's not – it's weather – it's relative to weather. I mean, when I think about the Packers' schedule – I believe four of their final six games after their late, um, excuse me, I think I, where is my Packers schedule? They're back. They're back in week. Oh five. yeah. Yeah. At week 12 moving forward, four of their last six games are at home and people, you know, it's so funny to talk to opponents that play them. Like, oh, the cold don't mean anything. Yeah, cold, this and that. It is unlike any cold. These players, many of them have never played in. You know, when I get a player on the phone that for the first time has played in, uh, is going to Green Bay, he doesn't know what to expect. <laughs> then they get there and it's like they're, they're walking out like statues and they're, they're breathing this, this, you know, body heat air. You can see it emanating from their bodies. Um, it is different and it is an advantage for the Packers. There's no question about it. So that's one thing you never had to do in your career was play outside unless it was for fun. Like how does a basketball, I'm going to just use the word star because that's what you at least were in college for sure. Um, I mean, you were, you were one of the best players in college basketball. How do you end up in football? Like how, how does that happen? Because so often when a player retires, they go to be an analyst or a reporter and they stay in the sport that they covered, like you did that yeah. for a little while, but then you went a different direction. How does that happen? Well, when I met you, I was at ESPN and it was an awesome run for me and experience learning. Mm -hmm. I got to do so many different things, thankfully to the people there, um, men's and women's college basketball, college football, NBA, Little League World Series, great outdoor games. I mean, great outdoors games. I, I was very blessed to have seven and a half years to start my career. And I got really burnt out because I was still playing basketball simultaneous to the TV world. And I had to take time off. I really needed to, um, per, from a personal standpoint in my life, take time off. And I moved to California. And 10 months after my move or whatever it was, the NFL Network called me and had learned that I'd moved out there and said, do you want to come work and cover the NFL? And so I was like, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'd already, I'd always loved football. And ironically enough, growing up in Canada, I grew up in hockey rinks. My brother was a really good hockey player, Burke, but my dad was a diehard Bills fan. So yeah, Buffalo Bills, like we, our, our Sundays were comprised of NFL all day, every week. Um, so we were, and then my brother ended up playing football. So it just turned out that my, this Canadian family was really into football. And so I think 
everything you take from your childhood becomes sort of ingratiated in your adulthood in some way, big or small. And uh, the NFL called me and now 11 seasons later, I'm still with them. I'm so grateful, honestly. And I love the league. It is an awesome league. I love the players. I love the coaches. I love the relationships. Um, I love the trust elements to it all. And I love the competition. I mean, it is just really awesome. My favorite part on Sundays, Michael, is to stand on the field and just observe. And sometimes I'll have a report in mind that I want to do and the 10 that I do that day. And I'll change it because I just saw something or talked to somebody that was to me so interesting that I have such a, 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 a sense of pride that I get to stand there and be the eyes, the ears and the voice to tell people that are watching that love this league so much, what I just heard, saw or heard. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good parts to it that I, I never take for granted. All right. So you grew up in Canada as a Bills fan, as we established at the top <laughs> of basically the same age. I'm 39, you're 40. And I know what that means because I grew up in downstate New York on Long Island. That means four years of the Bills making the Super Bowl and then in varying ways of blowout and missed field goals. And what was that like as a kid? Like, did you get that? Because you're also at the same time starting to become an elite athlete yourself. Like, what was that like? Were you a Bills fan? Like, were you like consoling well, my, your dad? Like, my dad's bitmoji is him in Buffalo Bills apparel. Okay. <laughs> So like my dad will text me and he loves his bitmoji, man. So he'll I was going to say, me. that's uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I, but I also just love, we loved the Bills as a family, mainly my dad, because um, I, I loved basketball. Um, that was my first love. But, uh, and I was like obsessed with NBA, you know, triple headers. Um, but we loved Jim Kelly and Andre Reed and Thurman Thomas. When Thurman Thomas followed me on Twitter, I was like, I texted, screenshot it and sent it to my dad. I'm like, look who follows me on Twitter. <laughs> I was so stoked about that. Um, because here's what I loved about the Bills. And yeah, they never won a Super Bowl in that run. And yeah, it was frustrating. But they were so underrated, as good as they were. Um, they packed it defensively. They had this offense and I just was like, so impressed. I always liked the underdog. I'm a big fan of underdogs. And I just was so impressed by how hard they played out their, their level of toughness. And I, I think that's what my dad liked too. Um, and we grew up in Ontario. I grew up in Ontario in a small town in Brockville, Ontario, which is about two hours North of Syracuse, New York. And they were kind of the closest team to us that wasn't a CFL team. So right. I think be between the proximity and the way that they went about business, um, I just, we just were Bills fans. So I think I know the answer to this, but I kind of have to ask you, because I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Did you ever think of going to Syracuse? Because we would have definitely been in the same classes then. <laughs> <laughs> I did. You know, they were the first team to really recruit me and I was almost ready to verbally commit to Syracuse back in like 97. I went to Oklahoma in 97 and um, they were my first visit. They um, were fantastic, but 
uh, and they were two hours from my home. So I would have had my parents, you know, just a shot south two hours from Canada. Uh, but there, as much as I thought academically, I would, you know, obviously fit in there with my desire in the communication field overall. Um, I didn't, they, they walked the ball up the court and they played his own defense. And I was like, I can't, I can't play this way. I can't, that's, I, I'm very, I was a very unbridled player, um, fast, let's get the ball and go and then distribute and figure out ways to outnumber your opponent in, by playing fast. And so walking the ball up the court and playing a zone defense consistently just didn't fit the vibe that I was interested in. And so I went to Oklahoma. <laughs> well, all right, let's, let's not do some revisionist history here. Syracuse women's basketball program was not good. No, they weren't. They were not. I covered them my yeah. senior year, which was the first time they went to the tournament in, I think it was like 12, 13 years. Yeah. Like, they were not good. <laughs> but that didn't scare me because I really believed in my heart that wherever I went, I would make the team better. And Oklahoma recruited me on a 5-22 and 22 record. So, oh, I did not realize that. So that wasn't good. So, no. But I liked it. I was like, 5-22? and 22? Heck yeah, man. <laughs> that, that means when we go in and we win like more than five games, all have actually made a difference somewhere. So, so does Sherry call thank you for her career? <laughs> no. Oh, she's still there. She's still coaching. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a journey. I respect these coaches that have coached places for 20 plus years, two decades in, in this crazy evolution of social media and millennialism. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, not to, again, go revisionist history, but you go there, maybe Mariana Freeman's still at Syracuse. Because, I mean, they, they went through, like, what, four coaches, five coaches in the last – I can't – Hillsman's doing all right, obviously, yeah. but it yeah. took a long time for that to happen. I mean, yeah, that, it, that it, was a rough, rough go for a while there. It did, and the guy who recruited me, um, Kurt Miller, was awesome. He was a fantastic recruiter. Um, but between the, the style of play and, you know, as, as close as they were to Canada, it's, I say this a little trepidation when you're recruited, you, you do a home, you, 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 you get home visits. So yeah. like schools will come and visit your home. And, um, of, of all the schools that recruited me, Syracuse never wanted a home visit or they never did one. And I was like, why didn't you guys do a home visit? Like, I love you, Kurt, but like the head coach is supposed to, you know, like Sherry and company, they flew into Toronto. They drove three hours from Toronto to my little hometown of 20,000 people, 21,000. And they did a home visit. And it was like, you kind of are like, wow, they really do want me. And man, I could actually go there and play right away. So um, all the factors added up and it just wasn't the place for me. And here I am now. I, sorry, my mind's blown here. Like they wouldn't do a home. They wouldn't do a home visit? Like, all right, so I covered college football and college basketball for 12, 10, 11, 12 years. Like, that's, especially back in the pre-social media days, that's a staple. That was, like, how you sold. Yeah, it was a big, it was a big deal. And it wasn't, I don't know if they thought, like, I can't get into their mind, but I, I don't know if they thought, well, she's this really nice, young, naive Canadian girl. And Canadians are just really nice. And I don't know if they thought, like, oh, yeah. Like when we're in line and some, you know, we're standing there in line, just a hypothetical and somebody buds in front of us, for instance, we'll be like, oh, sorry, did I get in your way? I'm sorry. 
you know, like we apologize for things we don't even do. Right. So I don't know if they thought that I was just like this Canadian girl who's like, it's okay. You don't have to come for a home visit. Don't worry. Um, but then everybody else did. And I was like, okay, that doesn't seem right. So wow. I don't know. I don't know. Am I going to go there? And am I going to play? Am I going to do these things that they need? You know, we're going to walk the ball up the court. Cause I can't do that. You would have played. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you would have played a lot. <laughs> you know, I mean, you would, let's be honest. You're, you're not going to let, you would have lost to UConn a lot, but other yeah. than that, I mean, everyone did like that yeah. because those were like the Sue Bird, Tarazi. Oh year yeah. Too. Yep. Those yep. Were, Sue and I were the were same nasty. year. Swin Cash, Asia Jones, Tamika Williams. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. The, those were, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. They were good. Do you like, so, okay. So you're a basketball player, you know, you're a basketball player growing up, like you said, basketball, NBA, triple, like triple header. What was your team? Well, Oh my goodness. Because I, the Raptors, if I remember right, like they weren't around, they definitely were around for most of your childhood, if not mm -hmm. all of it. Yeah. Um, Major League Baseball aside, I was a Blue Jays fan, but um, yeah, I was a Bull, I was a Bulls person. I was obsessed with Ben. I remember reading when I was in high school, I read Jordan Rules, that controversial book that came out um, about he and the organization and this and that. I was obsessed with his ability to have the expectations and his teammates meet them. And then to win when you win that much and you're that dominant, uh, I was fascinated. I, I also was a big fan of Hakeem Olajuwon and the Houston Rockets. Um, Houston to me, Hakeem was like, when I was a kid, I would, most of, most of the NBA took place in the winter. So I would go out to my driveway and I would shovel my driveway and I had a hoop on the shed beside our house. So I was always a little worried. It's not perfectly 10 feet. Is this going to throw me off in the gym? But I still went out there. I wore gloves and I think it's partly why I have like cold problems now in my hands and probably had some hypothermia just like onset through my childhood. But I would shovel my driveway. I would go out and I would try to be Jordan, Olajuwon, and Dominique Wilkins all in, at once. And so I would do like all of Hakeem as a guard. I was a tall guard. I would do all of his step through moves and I would study him and see how he would sigma and he, how he would move in the paint. And then I would add, like, I would pretend like Jordan. I was Jordan on the outside doing something. I would pass it to Hakeem and then I would go down on the low block and I would do a Hakeem move and I would, you know. I did that as a kid until the lights, until the dark, until the, you know, my mom said, you need to come in. Um, whenever I, that triple header was done, I was out in the driveway. So if that answers your question, those were my, those are my guys. It, it does. I, I was a Reggie Miller person. Um, okay. <laughs> like that was my thing. And like our backyard, we had a very, we had a very poorly constructed court like the deck jutted out on the court so if you drove right and i'm right-handed i'm very left-handed poor we'll just call it that like <laughs> i mean i'm not a very good basketball player I'll, I'll wholly admit that i'm a try hard person but you would drive right and i would be playing like my dad or whatever and my dad would check me into the deck sometimes purposely <laughs> sometimes not and like so like it would hurt so I'd like force you to get the shots up but yeah i was a reggie miller like just shoot everywhere like i Oh yeah, and growing up in New York, that was not good. Like I, 
I hope I I think I've told this story before, but like after the so Patrick Ewing misses, he should have dunked it, but he instead finger rolls it, it bounces off the back of the rim. The Pacers win. And I probably win, remember I, that. I probably watched that and watched it over and over. Yeah, it was the same. It was the same series where that Reggie Miller came back from like nine. Well, the Pacers did from like nine down with all the Reggie threes early in that series. And I remember I was so stoked after that. I wore my Reggie Miller jersey. I think it was a freshman in high school. I wore my Reggie Miller jersey to school the next day. Like, I had a teacher basically let me get punched in the stomach. <laughs> like, like, I mean, I got shoved in, a, like, shoved, like, shoved. Like, people were so angry. But I was like, dude, Reggie Miller's the best. <laughs> and that, like, that guy, shoot, that guy doesn't age either. I mean. No, I'm just like, dude, you look the same. I'm like, I. I what an amazing player. I mean, there's so many greats. I was also a huge magic. I mean, the way magic, my favorite thing to do was to pass the ball because I, I realized when I was really young, like eight or so years old in this house league in my hometown that I could make somebody else get a shot that was easy. And you know, when you see a kid do something in life and when they do it the right way, they get overjoyed and overzealous and they celebrate because that's what we're supposed to do. We forget to do that as adults, but they celebrate naturally, vivaciously. And I'll never forget passing the ball to this like wide open teammate. And when you're eight and you make a basket, it's like, holy cow, it's like the end of the world. Oh, it's the best feeling ever. Oh yeah, like I scored. I, like, how many points you score? I just made a basket, you know? <laughs> so um, when I realized that when I was young, that's when I knew, even though soccer was my first sport, I realized that basketball would be my gift. And magic was part of that too. When I watched magic, I mean, everything magic did, it was just, just this unbelievable ease with which to make everybody else better and then have joy doing it. And I think that should be like the model for life, really. That's, that's a good model. I ask, I, I close with this question with every athlete I have on, and you are an athlete, so I'm going to, even though, <laughs> okay. you're, even though you're one of us now, you know, you're probably, honestly, you can win, I would say basically any pickup game or any one-on-one -on -one battle with probably anyone in the NFL press corps. I'm just going to throw that out there. But okay. what was the best piece of trash talk you ever heard on the court? In, my, like, my playing days? Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I don't really, nobody was that bad, but I just remember I wore these big, I have really skinny legs and skinny ankles. And I wore these, I used to sprain my ankles all the time. So I wore like these big cast ankle braces, like early in my, like my first days in the WNBA, like when I was a rookie and I'll never forget, uh, I think it was Tamika Whitmore. Uh, Whit, it was Whitmore at a new, with the Liberty New York. And um, she said something to me like, what do you got on your feet, girl? You got casts on there? <laughs> and I was so embarrassed. I'm like, nobody's ever commented on my ankle braces. Thank you very much. And I ain't going to roll my ankles when I play you because I'm just going to go past you. So I was like, that, if that's, I don't know if that's a good or bad story, but that's the worst it can get. Um, that was pretty much it. Was there, were there ever any pieces of trash talk, even college or whatever, where like someone tried and you're just like, wait, what are you saying? <laughs> like, like yeah, did you really I don't say that? It, yeah, no, in college, it never really happened. Um, I, you know, what's funny is like, we never even really hear it from professional athletes like NFL, NBA players. 
all you hear is you just get a giggle like oh yeah they talk a lot of shit you know blah, blah, blah. and they don't really reveal what was said the times that are revealed is when there's like an altercation yeah. you know or they're retired when they're retired, they don't care. They give zero, right. they oh, give yeah. zero Fs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, the women's game is pretty clean. Is it? That's, see, I'm kind of disappointed at that. I was hoping that there would be like some great epic trash talk story. <laughs> I wish there was. Um, yeah, yeah, there's really not. I mean, you, uh, get, you get the odd little thing here and there, like, you ain't going to hit that or... Blah, 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 but nothing bad. That's, uh, yeah, but you ain't gonna have that. Like, that's the best you can do, really? <laughs> Come on, be better. Yes. It is. <laughs> Stacey, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. <laughs> my, my pleasure. I can't wait to see you when uh, we're able to get back to normal on the field. Absolutely. want to thank Stacey for coming on. Really enjoyed having her on the show. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Hope you maybe learned something. Hope you maybe took something from our banter. I learned a lot from her actually about Syracuse and about how close she was to potentially going to Syracuse, which would have actually, I would have ended up covering her at some point in her women's basketball career at Syracuse. And who knows, then we maybe would know each other for going on 20 years or 21 years instead of 15 as we joked about at the top of the podcast she is 40 i am barreling down on 40 a uh, little le- a little more than 5 months away at this point so that should be pretty exciting you can follow stacy on instagram and on twitter at stacy dales that's s t a c e y dales d a l e s on both your Twitter and your Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. As always, let us know who you want to hear from as we bo- as we head into the summer. We're going to have a couple of fun things coming up for you here in June. That is my hope. As always, if you're willing, drop us a note. Leave us a review. Subscribe. Download. All those things. And we'll chat with you on Monday.